the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline, Putin's bellwether project designed to make Germany energy dependent on Russia, went from 0% completed to 95% completed during the Trump administration. How did this happen? And especially, how did this happen after a bipartisan majority in Congress had passed sanctions legislation in 2017 designed to stop Nord Stream 2, and after Trump himself had very publicly chastised Germany for the pipeline? In short, how was it that the Trump administration did nothing on sanctions for Nord Stream 2 until the project was nearly completed and Congress had forced their hand? We'll be examining this question in this episode of The Freewheeling Diplomat. My name is Colin Cleary, adjunct professor of U.S. foreign policy at George Washington University and former U.S. foreign service officer who served at U.S. embassies in Russia, Ukraine, and Poland, among other places, and as director for energy diplomacy at the State Department's Energy Bureau. Okay, so why go back and revisit Nord Stream 2? After all, it was blown up, or at least partially blown up, in September 2022, presumably in a Russian-backed special operation. No gas is now flowing through either Nord Stream 2 or Nord Stream 1, its predecessor. But it is important to go back and set the record straight on how the pipeline was built and during which administration, the Trump administration. It's important because there's considerable misrepresentation going on. Trump claimed in a speech last year at CPAC, shortly after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, that, quote, I was the one who stopped the pipeline. Nobody else ended the pipeline. Biden came in and he supported it. That is a misrepresentation, to put it nicely. Pompeo similarly has criticized the Biden administration, which after all had to deal with the fait accompli of a 95% completed pipeline left by Trump. Pompeo has called the Biden deal with Germany over the pipeline in 2021 a gift to Putin and cited all the familiar U.S. national security arguments against the pipeline, that it would undermine Ukraine, that it would give Putin leverage over Germany, that it would enrich Putin and his cronies. All of these are the similar arguments that were in place in 2017 and 2018 and 2019 when the Biden administration was not in office and in fact the Trump people were and did nothing to stop the pipeline. Nikki Haley similarly in 2021 in an interview criticized Biden for giving Russia the biggest possible gift on Nord Stream 2 and said that Trump was stopping it. So these claims are all a whitewash, and since they're coming up by presidential candidates or possible presidential candidates, it's important to set the record straight. So let's look back at the Nord Stream 2 saga and find out what really happened. Let's explore the complete mismatch between Trump's rhetoric while in office and his actions, and consider whether the Trump administration's failure to take meaningful action on Nord Stream 2 in time may have helped embolden Putin in his plans to invade Ukraine. Okay, first things first, let's remind ourselves briefly. What was Nord Stream 2, and why did it matter to U.S. interests? Nord Stream 2 is, of course, a Russian Gazprom project. Gazprom, Russia's state gas monopoly, is deeply, of course, tied to the Kremlin. The goal of Nord Stream 2 was to double the capacity of natural gas exports from Russia to Germany, stretching across 1,230 kilometers of pipeline under the, under the Baltic Sea. Nord Stream 1 was completed in 2012, and sadly, Merkel and Germany signed an agreement to do Nord Stream 2 after Russia's invasion and illegal occupation of Crimea and fomenting of war in eastern Ukraine. The result was that even prior to Nord Stream 2 coming online, which it never has, Germany was dependent on Russia for about 50% of its gas, and the EU in total about 40%. So that made Germany Russia's number one natural gas customer even before Nord Stream 2 came, were to come online. 
So Nord Stream 2 matters to U.S. interests because of that deep independency and deepened link between Germany and Russia, but also because of what it meant for Ukraine. Essentially, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, like Nord Stream 1, were diversionary pipelines. Ukraine's gas transit system had sufficient capacity to ship uh, Russian gas. But Russia's goal was to end its reliance on Ukraine's uh, gas transit system and link instead with Germany. German officials had shockingly, including Merkel, had shockingly called this uh, simply a, a business deal that didn't have any geopolitical consequences. But partners in the region clearly saw it otherwise. Thus, the project served Putin's interests by dividing the European countries against themselves, pitting Poland against Germany and the Baltics against Germany, Ukraine against Germany, the United States against Germany, all to Putin's liking. And, of course, setting the stage for Russia to use energy as a geopolitical weapon in case of some sort of conflict with Ukraine. Nord Stream 2 was also a vehicle for Put that Putin could use to co-opt German and other elites, none worse than Gerhard Schroeder, the former chancellor of Germany, who became, in fact, the chairman of the board of Nord Stream 2. U.S. policy, of course, then recognizing all these factors, strongly opposed uh, Germany's decision to enter into Nord Stream 2. And Congress did as well. So after the 2016 elections, when there was a lot of consternation about Russian interference, Putin's interference in the election process, there was a comprehensive sanctions bill passed in Congress, bipartisan, with strong bipartisan support. It was known as Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act, or CATSA. It included a specific section, Section 232, targeting Russian energy export pipelines. These sanctions were discretionary. The Secretary of State, in consultation with the Secretary of the Treasury and in coordination with U.S. allies, were to impose them. Enter Rex Tillerson in 2017. Tillerson was, of course, Trump's first Secretary of State, an Exxon Mobil oil man. Trump hadn't known Tillerson before he appointed him Secretary of State. So while Tillerson hadn't known Trump, he did know Putin. And in fact, in 2013, Tillerson was the recipient of a Russian Friendship Award, which he got in person from Putin, in recognition of ExxonMobil's deep uh, activities in Russia and with Russia, particularly with Rosneft. It was Tillerson then who uh, played the lead role in setting the parameters for the, uh, the 232 energy pipeline sanctions that could be imposed on Russia. And what Tillerson decided to do was grandfather in existing projects like Nord Stream 2. That surprised many observers and was not what Congress had intended. Tillerson provided public guidance that CATSA sanctions would not apply to projects that had been under contract before August 17th of 2017. So this guidance essentially shielded Nord Stream 2 from sanctions and also shielded from sanctions the Western companies that had provided, the five Western companies, about 1 billion euros each in financing for the project. So to repeat, the Trump administration grandfathered in Nord Stream 2, thus excluding it from sanctions in 2017, in contravention of what Congress had really intended. With such grandfathering, Western companies supporting the project had no legal grounds to declare force majeure or cancellation. The result? The project went forward and construction began. Pipes were forged in 2017, trench digging started in May 2018, and pipeline began in July 2018. Meanwhile, in March 2018, Trump fired Tillerson, fittingly by tweet. It hadn't helped Tillerson that a few months before he was quoted as calling Trump an effing moron after a meeting at which Trump had advocated radically increasing the number of nuclear weapons in the U.S. arsenal. So Tillerson's short tenure came to a, a sad and pathetic end. He was considered a horrific Secretary of State, but that's a question for another day. 
and enter Mike Pompeo, his successor in 2018. Unlike Tillerson, Pompeo was obsequious to Trump, no matter how absurd Trump's behavior. But here's the thing, Pompeo did not change the Tillerson guidance with regard to the Nord Stream 2 project. Indeed, the Nord Stream 2 remained grandfathered in and unsanctioned. This despite repeated congressional pressure to sanction it, and despite urgent appeals from Ukraine, Poland, the Baltics, and others. Indeed, even the European Commission denounced Nord Stream 2, as did the European Parliament. Enter Donald Trump, whose favorite thing, as we know, was beating up on NATO allies, particularly Germany, for burden-sharing issues. So he started in criticizing Germany on Nord Stream 2 for Germany's energy dependence on Russia that was incongruous. In Congress, for Germany to become overly dependent on on Russian energy at a time when the alliance was seeking to increase its expenditures to uh, counter Russia's other malign influences and attacks against Ukraine. If you want to check it out on YouTube, there's a several-minute clip where he's sitting there with uh, the NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg uh, around a table with his delegation and NATO delegation, where he he does a big riff on uh, on Germany and Nord Stream Two. It's uh, it, it captures all of his points. Trump also maintained that nobody was talking about Nord Stream 2 before he started doing it. Of course, that, that was far from the case. But typical of Trump, who, when he discovers an issue, assumes that nobody knew about it before he did. But anyway, the point was really that Trump was making some valid points, points that had been made by the Obama administration before and by many of our other uh, European allies. But here's the thing. Despite the, the sanctions uh, legislation by Congress that was available to him, his administration did nothing to change the Tillerson guidance. The Tillerson guidance remained in effect, thus essentially continuing to grandfather in the Nord Stream 2 project. So while Trump can bewail it and criticize it, they actually did nothing concretely on the sanctions front. And these years, the 20, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, these were the critical years when the project went from zero to nearly complete construction. This was the time, especially in the early period, 2017, 2018, when stopping it would have been much more possible. So the question arises, why didn't the Trump administration do something? The, you had the president out there beating the drum. Why didn't something happen? Why didn't they change the Tillerson guidance earlier on sanctions and take some action? I guess only Pompeo or Mnuchin from Treasury can tell us the answer to that. But I'll propose three possible uh, answers. One, the sanctions regime, the U.S. sanctions infrastructure, was overloaded with actions against Iran and later with Venezuela. So maybe the Treasury folks felt that they had no bandwidth to uh, expand things vis-a-vis Russia. Two, there, there must have been a constituency in the administration somewhere perhaps that was sensitive to the German uh, complaints that this was an extraterritorial extension by the U.S. Uh, sanction, administration of sanctions against uh, these companies and this project would be a gross violation, the Germans maintained, would complicate relations, and maybe that that did give them pause, despite the, the visceral rhetoric that our ambassador to Germany was using uh, against the Germans on the Nord Stream 2 project and, and Trump's harsh uh, criticism. But the third thing, and probably the perhaps the most likely one, is just incompetence, the inability to link... Trump's comments to actual action and the inability to actually do something. They had the tool there. They had to change the guidance. They had to take the action. They had years to do it, and they just didn't get it done. So I would say incompetence, lack of follow-through, inconsistency, ineptitude. Those elements may explain it uh, more than anything. So there you have it. The uh, Nord Stream 2 construction proceeded. 2018 was a key year. 2019 was a key year. 
And it really, the situation was the worst of both worlds. You have, the Germans were alienated because while no action was taken, they were getting a lot of criticism from the administration. But yet, the, the, there was no action actually taken. So the, the project went forward. So you had the project going forward and the Germans getting their nose out of joint. So, so it was really the worst of both worlds. And a, as I say, a, a ineptitude is probably the best uh, explanation. So would sanctions uh, have stopped the project if they had been instituted early, say in 2018, 2017? I think the case is pretty strong that they, they, that they would have. U.S. sanctions in 2017 or 2018 would have very likely given the Western companies that were involved in the project, the five companies financing it, helping Gazprom financing it, that accounted for half of the project financing, uh, it would have given them a way out. If we fast forward to December uh, 2019, when when Congress mandated sanctions against uh, the pipeline company, the the C pipeline company, All Seas, All Seas, as soon as the sanctions were imposed, All Seas immediately ceased action. So the idea of Western companies abiding by the sanctions, I think the, I think the case is pretty strong. And the earlier that they could be instituted, uh, the more effective they would be. The fact that Gazprom had engaged Western companies as partners certainly helped the constituency within Germany to help move the project forward too. So strip those partners away and uh, could Gazprom have proceeded without them? Who knows? But I think in any event, it didn't happen. Uh, during that key period when the tool was available to the Trump administration, they had already grandfathered in the Nord Stream 2 project. They did not change that guidance and the project proceeded year after year, month after month, until it was 95% completed by the time something even began to be done in the sanctions front. So in December 2019, the sanctions from Congress moved from discretionary to mandatory, and the Congress had attached this to the must-pass defense authorization bill. Uh, and so the administration had no choice but to implement sanctions. The sanctions uh, specified in, 20, in December 2019 were very targeted and targeted at that uh, all seas, the the sea pipeline company based in Switzerland, and they were extremely effective. Gazprom had to scramble. There, this is not the a capability that's widely available, and it took them a year, year and a half to even assemble alternatives uh, to all seas. So it certainly was effective in in impeding the project, and very likely could have been effective had it been implemented at the beginning of stopping the project. So let's fast forward to the spring of. 2021. The new Biden administration is re reviewing this issue. And basically, they're presented with a fait accompli. The pipeline is 95% built. Uh, the, our relations with Germany are very strained. The administration, for much broader reasons than just the Nord Stream uh, 2 issue, is looking for ways to get on a better footing with Germany. And so, essentially, for, for various reasons that the pipeline is already essentially built and our relations with Germany are, are in tatters, uh, they decide to, uh, to uh, abide by Germany's request and to uh, waive the sanctions at that point. But the Biden administration is able to get from the Germans a, a promise, which ultimately was honored, that should there be aggression by Russia again, as, as feared, uh, that the pipeline, the Nord Stream 2 would, would not enter into operation. And that is ultimately what happened in 2022 with the February invasion. So while I, I do want to highlight the, the culpability of the, of the Trump administration in not using the tools at its disposal to stop the project, I mean, there's no doubt that the, the fundamental blame for the Nord Stream 2 uh, real disaster is belongs to Germany. And Merkel's legacy is certainly tarnished as a result. She had 
argued, as had lobbyists for her that we, that we heard in Washington, that, uh, oh, the, this will uh, give embed Russia and the Putin regime in, in commerce with Germany and keep the, and the ties are going both ways. In fact, the dependency would be more felt by Russia by engaging in these projects. Well, that is certainly not the way that Putin uh, saw it. And we've seen that in very much uh, in evidence since the invasion of uh, last year. One of the lobbyists for the Nord Stream 2 partners was a, guy, a former U.S. ambassador named Richard Burt. And he, he said publicly, uh, you know, that, that Nord Stream 2 would give the Western, uh, the West, not Putin, uh, what he called the whip handle. Well, you know, again, Putin thought he had the whip handle and he was definitely going to use that as an arsenal, part of his arsenal in his, uh, in his invasion of Ukraine. That is that the dependency of, of Europe on Russian energy is something that he would use to, uh, to, to weaken any public uh, opposition to any actions that he was taking on, on Ukraine. And we've seen that. And if you look at Russian media, even in, in, in recent months, they seem to relish the idea that Europe will be freezing and that they are reliant on Russia, Russian energy, and that they will be, uh, you know, living in, in darkness and in freezing conditions in Europe, uh, absent Russia's absent connection with Russia. So this is certainly a part of the equation. So what can we say? Let's let's draw some conclusions from this episode. The first one is be careful and mindful when Trump is bragging that he stopped the Nord Stream 2 project and he this was important enough for him to mention at the CPAC uh, at the CPAC meeting last year. So it's something that we will hear from him and and likely Pompeo and Nikki Haley and others. So we want to set the record straight that the the burden falls on them and they didn't take action when the time was right. The second thing is, as we've said, I think the Nord Stream 2 episode points to the general dysfunction uh, of, the, of the Trump administration. The idea that you have a president beating the drum so strongly and taking on this issue uh, publicly and yet in practice doing nothing. And, and as, we've said, as we've said before, the worst of both worlds uh, being in place, the alienating the Germans massively, while at the same time doing nothing to stop the pipeline from moving forward. So it really was ineptitude, massive ineptitude, uh, foreign policy, and further destruction of our, our relationships, and helping Russia by, by not taking action against the pipeline to uh, install uh, the, the, the potential pressure, energy pressure that it has over Germany uh, via the pipeline. And I think the third conclusion is that I do think that it, it could have very likely influenced, it's not the only factor, clearly, but influenced Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. If he thinks he's got the energy weapon that Nord Stream 2, Nord Stream 1, and the relationship with Germany provide him, and that the United States under the Trump administration did not stop when it had the opportunity to do so, then he would be more inclined to feel... He's got the army that can destroy uh, the, the Ukraine and occupy it. The Ukrainians are weak and the Europeans will be weak. And a key element of that weakness is the energy uh, weapon. So uh, the fact that there was an effective action taken, and, and of course the fact, again, blaming Germany, who, who deserve the, the greatest blame, that they, after 2014 and after the uh, annexation of Crimea, that they, that they actually move forward with the Nord Stream 2 project is, in hindsight, outrageous and a complete failure. But it was it, so they really should have egg on their faces massively, and uh, and they do, and I I, th I think they've recognized the, the mistake. Even though Merkel has commented not as much admitting uh, errors as saying it well it was worth a shot. Basically, it was worth a shot to kind of throw a line to to Putin and see if they would 
regard this as a mutual dependence that would help keep peace instead of isolate Russia and avoid contact, etc. But we've run this experiment and we've seen that that clearly Putin felt that it gave him a, a, a whip handle, to use Richard Burt's phrase, that he was going to use uh, against the Europeans. So, so where does this leave us today? I mean, there's actually some good news here. Germany recognizing finally, uh, since the February 2022 uh, full-scale invasion, has radically changed their energy policy. And they've worked, and with the EU, to, uh, to really alter the equation, alter the dependence on Russian gas uh, imports into Europe. By the end of 2022, Germany is essentially not importing uh, Russian gas, and other members are moving in that direction. So it really is Russia's losing its major natural gas market, the, the uh, gas, natural gas market paying full prices, and that was a natural fit for Russia's uh, energy and fit with the pipelines, etc. Putin, in all his brilliance, has destroyed it. In its place, uh, the, the, Euro the Europeans, Germany and others have, have gotten liquefied natural gas, uh, increased that significantly. They've decreased consumption, so they've done some conservation, benefited the U.S. in the sense that we're providing it, Qatar and others. So it really has the equation in, in, in very rapid order, in, in a year, has really shifted. So we can credit, we can credit Germany in that sense and others for, for really moving to make this a, a reality. Finally, they, have, they, had, they had dragged their feet on LNG uh, terminals in Germany, and now they're, they're putting them in, in place. So things really are changing, and they probably never will revert back. So whatever happens, Putin has ruptured that relationship, and I don't, I don't see it really ever coming back. It is a bit, when you talk about Nord Stream 2, Nord Stream 1, I mean, they're both inoperative. In September, as noted, there was an explosion that, that ruptured the lines. Most analysis that I've seen bl blames uh, what must be uh, Russian forces for doing this, I guess as part of the intimidation factor. Maybe they also want to demonstrate that they could blow up other lines like Baltic pipe that goes uh, from Norway to Poland. In any event, it just further makes it so that the Nord Stream 1, which had been functioning, and now Nord Stream 2 will be just relics and uh, abandoned assets. And in the case of Nord Stream 2, 10 billion euros worth of Wasted assets and wasted money, a symbol of the emptiness of that, of that relationship and the, uh, the, the, the sad nature of, of Putin's desire to use that as a, as a weapon and then leaving it now as a relic. So that's where we leave things. Um, on, on the positive side, Europe has, is reorienting itself. On the negative side, a lot of money's wasted. And maybe the inaction in the key moment in Nord Stream 2 might have helped contribute to Putin's analysis that he could... Uh, intimidate the Europeans. And if the U.S. could have stopped that but through actions in a timely manner against Nord Stream 2, it might have, at least marginally, affected Putin's calculus uh, on how much uh, intimidation he could have vis-a-vis -vis Europe if he were to take military action on Ukraine. So I think it's very regrettable on many levels that this thing happened, but especially regrettable if those who didn't take action blame the people who came after them, uh, which is absurd because the key moments were during the Trump years and the action wasn't taken despite the desire of Congress and the tools available. So that's where we'll leave it. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, we'll catch you next time.